All right. You can just open the first chronicles. We're going to do selective scriptures. But the message is entitled, The Believer and Worship. The reign of David in First Chronicles centers on the reign of David, and a good space has been given to the preparation of the building and organization of the temple service for the worship of God. Uh, six chapters are given. We'll go tonight, verse by verse, chapter 22 to 27. We went to 22. We'll cover 23 to 27 tonight because there's a lot of names. But those chapters are given specifically for this. Remember, this is post-captivity. This is reflecting back on history. This is God's perspective to prepare the people. They're going to set up the worship again. They're going to build the temple again. They're waiting for Messiah. Very, very important. They're supposed to learn from their past. Worship is not based on methodology, instruments, or one on one's emotional experience, but on our response to God for our, from our hearts in gratitude, in admiration, and in glorification of God, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to the words of David, First Chronicles 25, 1 and 2. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated. Listen to him. David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the men, Asaph, Heman, and uh, Judutham, who should prophesy with harp, string instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men performing their service was of the sons of Asaph, Sukkur, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Azariah. And the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. Everybody in the nations involved. There was no ministers and this and that. There were the priests and all that, but everybody loved God. Everybody worshipped God. Everybody was to be under the direction of God. Everybody affects everybody. You cannot get away from that. So let's look at the material of First Chronicles regarding the preparation of the building of the temple that is centered on the worship of God as taught in the entire Bible too by asking three questions because we have to tie it all together. First question is the simple question, what is worship? Second, the sound question, why are we to worship? And thirdly, the specific question, how are we to worship? These are the answers that you find in the Bible. Not in Webster's Dictionary or anything else. Though Webster, he was a Christian. If you look at it, all of his definitions are biblical. <laughs> That's why they don't use Webster's anymore. Let's begin with our first point, the simple question, what is worship? The origin of the English word worship is derived from a Saxon word, and the word um, is worth-scrip. In other words, it's said to mean worth-ship. And it describes the worth of a person or thing receiving special honor. We treat a person or object as unique and different from common things, Right? You have your china for special things, and then you have the common dishes, right? You have the dishes for you and the dishes for Fido, okay? You never eat out of Fido's bowl. It's very specific, okay? He only eats out of that, hopefully. The word worship, in its most basic meaning, has the idea of dedication and devotion to a person or thing that is valued more, listen, than self, the act and practice of worship is related to various things in Scripture, as you know. To God, to creation, to false gods, 
um, but it belongs solely and only to God. First um, Chronicles sixteen twenty nine says, "Give the Lord Yahweh the glory; do His name; bring an offering and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord Yahweh in the beauty of His holiness." You're worshiping something far beyond you, greater than you. You can't even come close to it. The act of worship is unique and uniquely described to God alone in both Old and New Testament, as you know. In Exodus 23 and 4, the prophet Moses there um, delivers and uh, what is received by him, the ten words or the ten commandments at Mount Sinai. The very first and second commandments dealt with worship. Listen, you shall have no other gods before me, verse 3 of Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, verse 4 and 5. The first two have to do with worship. Only God, and don't try to make any image and resemblance because God is spirit. Okay? Very simple. Now, religions do that, but Christianity does not. The Lord um, Jesus affirmed worship belongs and is to be given uniquely to God when he uh, refused to worship uh, to Satan, remember, in Luke 4, 8, in the wilderness. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, get behind me. He said, if you will worship me, right? Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord Yahweh your God and him only you shall serve. Tie those together, worship service. You're going to see it over and over again, okay? Very. So the most basic understanding is to worship God alone. Real simple. Now, worship is anything a person or I, uh, um, that, that becomes an idol to them, and they worship, and, but again, it belongs to God. And the person can worship their intellect, their occupation, their money, their wife, their husband, uh, their pastor, uh, their church, whatever it may be. Whatever you put as the top thing, that is your object of worship. Your master passion, if you will. The believers to worship no one except God and ascribe worth to Christ. For he is the one who makes all things worthwhile and valuable. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to worship God the Father and himself. Now, the act of worship in the Old Testament is very descriptive. As you know, the most used and common word is the word shaha, that means to depress, to bow down, or to prostrate. This is one of the key postures of men throughout the scriptures, as you know. The clear image is of those who do not know God. They bow down to Images, they prostrate themselves. You did that as a religious person. I did that. Some of you were not religious at all. But if you come out of the Catholic religion, you know what I'm talking about. All right? It's a whole system of idolatry. Those who know God as Israel believed the Lord had visited them and looked on their affliction, therefore they bowed their heads and they worshiped in Exodus 4.31.
They knew their God. There is a word abed, it meaning, and it means servant. And the idea is one of service of every kind, acts of adoration, as well as doing chores. God said to Moses, using this word in Exodus 3.12, you shall serve God on this mountain. Remember? Moses, bring him here. With worship comes service. You extend yourself. So up to this point, we can see that worship is not confined to singing or lifting your hands up or rocking back and forth. Because these are external, visible things that can be taken uh, place, but no real worship is actually happening. Okay, a lot of people do that. A lot of the Christian music today is not worship. It's just pop Christian music. There's a difference. The old hymnals, they have worship. I'm not saying there's no worship today. There is worship today. But we have to distinguish between a song that is worship to God and one that just makes you tap your foot. There's two different things. Now, the act of worship in the New Testament is equally descriptive. The most common word for worship is proskuneo, and it means to kiss the hand or the ground. And once again, the idea of prostration, adoration, and worth. Very important. The word is used of God, of Christ, of man, of demons, of idols. So the context will tell you who is being worshipped. The witness of John is that the angels and elders around the throne fell down on their faces and worshiped God in Revelation 7, 11. We see this consistent posture. We see this consistent, genuine worship. The word appears the most numerous, by the way, worship in the book of Revelation, 24 times. Now you've got to take the context who's being worshipped because there's a lot of worship of the Antichrist and all that, okay? But it's worship, nevertheless. There are other words that mean service, worship, honor, and religious homage. For instance, Paul says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of Jesus Christ, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and accepted to you, which is your reasonable service. Latria is the word. It means my service and worship of God according to the word of God. As you now are a Christian, you know what true worship is. And it is not confined to singing or lifting your hands. Though that is included and it can be included. Very important. The clear understanding is a very obvious and unifying idea and relationship between worship and service in the scriptures then. You can't separate them. They are inseparable. In fact, one, if you worship God, then you will be serving God. If you're not serving God, then you are missing the true meaning of worship, for it is the outgrowth of your love for God. When a husband and wife get married, they serve each other because they love each other. If you don't love each other, then you think that you should be served by him or her because you're better than them, right? Wow. Uh, Queen Victoria, when she uh, ascended to her throne, she went as a custom of royalty to hear the Messiah's render. 
And she had been instructed um, as to her conduct and those that knew the traditions. And she was told that she must not stand up uh, in the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus. And when the Magnificent Chorus uh, was being sung and the singers were shouting, Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God is omnipotent and he reigns. Uh, she sat down with great difficulty. Um, it seemed that she would rise in spite of her custom of the queens and kings. But finally, when uh, they came to that part of the chorus where with uh, a shout, the um, uh, people that proclaim king of king and uh, suddenly the young queen rose to her feet and bowed her head as if she would take her crown off and cast it to his feet. Reference. Certain songs when you're here in, uh, in, in, at Christmas, Silent Night, man, you just know you're before the creator, before the redeemer. You just thank him. You just worship him. Important. This is what worship is according to the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Not much what we see today. Secondly comes the sound question, why are we to worship God? The reason we are to worship God first is because God is our creator. Simple. Revelation 4, 10 through 11 says the 24 elders fell down before him who sat upon the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Ever thought about that? You're driving at night, you look up at the sky, you're out in the desert, out in the ocean, or you just, and you realize the, the person who put all this together just created out of nothing. Out of nothing. Then he had the nerve to hang it on nothing and spin it at a thousand miles an hour. Perfect in that perfect light, light of that line of light that no other planet's on. Wow. The scriptures clearly reveal and command that we are created to worship God. Fallen man has a difficult time with this uh, concluding that God is narcissistic because he wants to be worshipped. And even accuse him of not being fair or loving. This is the result of the progressive education and the humanism that has indoctrinated the past 40 years of our generations. And so we have sown to the wind, we are reaping to the whirlwind, as we'll see by the end of the study. It seems foolish if you were designed for the worship of God and you rebel against that, then you're adding to your own hurt. You know, um, every tool has a design and purpose behind it. And when you buy it, they give you a guarantee. If you use this product according to its design and purpose, they will guarantee it for whatever. Okay? But if you abuse it, they're not going to guarantee everything. And so if you line up with the purpose and design of your life, then you're going to receive the benefit. It's going to be honored. If you don't, then you really add to your own hurt. You know, if you take your shoe and use it as a hammer, it's not going to last long. Oh, well, it might get the hammer in the first two, but you're not going to have no more shoe, right? It's real simple. The scriptures also reveal worship is the theme in heaven, and we are to recognize it. 
John tells us the elders as we've seen are prostrated before the throne. So if that's the theme in heaven, learn that scene that you see there. Get used to it. For that will be the first thing you and I see when we get to heaven. The theme of heaven is the worship of Jesus and the Father. If that's the theme of heaven, that's to be the theme here on earth by the Christian, by the believer. Isaiah 6, 3, one of the seraphims cried out to another saying, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you don't see God, all you're going to see is the treacherous hand of man in this world. And it is dark day we're living in. Not just nation, not regional, not local. Worldwide. Now the reason we are to worship God is because God also redeemed us and made us kings or a kingdom, literally of kings and priests. It's the believer that can worship. The non-believer cannot until they're born again. Revelation again 5, 9 through 10 says, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by our blood, uh, by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Wow. If that's all we got, that would be everything. <laughs> but there's so much more. The only people that can meet the description and sing this song in Revelation 5, 9 through 10 is the church. No one else. The new song. Read the context. Only the redeemed. That's the New Testament saying. The church is before the throne having been raptured prior to the tribulation period and they're worshiping Jesus in song. The caution is that worship is far more than just singing in the church, right? Jesus has made us kingdom of priests and kings having taken us from being lost and now being saved. Translating us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. Don't ever forget that. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how smart you thought you were. How cool you thought you were. And then you heard the gospel and you realized you were under God's wrath. And God's mercy allowed you to call to him his name. Wow. What a miracle. Absolute miracle, ladies and gentlemen. Chronicle says 4,000 were gatekeepers. 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. First Chronicles 23, 5. This is, this is David's passion, David's heart. He's got the ark there. You know, he did it the wrong way. Now he's done the right. But this is his passion to build a house for God. But he's a bloody man. He can't do it. But he's making preparations for his son. It's really David's temple. Solomon was a little girly man. He was just around girls all the time. He wasn't a man's man. He, he just put those things together. David prepared everything. Chronicle again says in First Chronicles 25, 7. So the number of them... And their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord Yahweh, all who were skillful, 
was 288. He lines all this stuff up. The transformation has taken us from enemies to sons and daughters of God. Regardless of how moral or um, we were prior to Christ or uh, whether we were you know, debauched enemies of God. Jesus died for the ungodly. I presume we all qualify. I do. That is the reason why Jesus can ask of us to repent. And that's the reason why he does forgive us of our sins because we call upon his name. And therefore, as we have been forgiven, then we now are obliged and obligated to forgive others that ask us forgiveness because we know what it is to be forgiven. It's amazing. God never asked me to do anything that he has not first done himself. He asked me to die to self every day. Jesus did that every day and then he ultimately died in my place at the cross. Jesus first showed us the way. His footsteps were to follow. And so if I deny myself, then he enables me. And he never asked me to do anything that he doesn't enable me to do. He's very just. The third reason is that we are to worship God is because of God's goodness. Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. The goodness of God is related to his name. For the forgiveness of our sins, for the faithful provisions that he gives to our lives, uh, for the full protection and dependence upon him on and on, day to day, and so many other things we can just enumerate. Uh, I was just telling Trudy just the other day, when we first got married, I said, remember how we just had that little apartment, you know, you just walk in, there's your living room, the kitchen there, and then the bathroom and that. I said, if that's all we had after all these years, we, it, it, we, we wouldn't need any more. And so there's nothing wrong with things, but, but once you get things, if, if you feel that this is really the arrival, you haven't learned your lesson. All these things mean nothing. They're going to bury you without shoes. Or barbecue you, one of the two. The fourth reason we are to worship God is because of God's marvelous works and His wonders. Revelation fifteen three through 4 says, And they sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Wow. His work of justification, redemption, reconciliation, regeneration. And we can go on and on. So much that he's done. You know your life. You know who you are. You know what he does daily. You know what he, oh, everything. And it's just, it's important that we never forget. God did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And yet he never throws anything in our faces 
or pressures us. He woos us. He draws us close to him. Hmm. God merely waits for our response. He always initiates. I respond. I can respond in obedience or I can just respond in ignoring him or rejecting him. I have a free will. The heavens will praise you, your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also is in the congregation of the saints, Psalm 89.5. We gather on Sundays, on Sunday night and Thursday and any other time. We're here to learn the word of God, but that God can minister to our hearts and we have worship time to worship him. That he deal with our hearts and we can just cast all our cares upon him. So that he can minister to me and prepare me for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the year, my life. One day at a time. Martin Luther claimed that, quote, to know God is to worship him and that worship is not an optional extra for the godly person. But an essential symptom or expression of that knowledge. So. These are the scriptural reasons why we are to worship God. Now, now all of these are not exhaustive, but they're sufficient to tell us what the Bible reveals. Thirdly, we have the specific question. How are we to worship God? This is very important. The believers to worship God in praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 150 verse 6. The organization of David in preparation of the temple and the materials, it's all for the worship of God. Please understand this, from chapter 22 down to 27. Okay, that block has been given for that. Everybody's involved. There there isn't a, a secular. Now, we understand there's a difference in the Old Testament. It's a theocracy. It's the nation under God ruling them. We don't see that in the New Testament. We do see the church. He rules our life. The same. But the organization by David is in preparation for the worship of God. In chapter 23, verse 3 to 23, you have the 24 orders or courses of the Levites. You remember in, in, the, in, in Luke's gospel that um, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, his course came up, the eighth course. And that's where the angel appeared to him. Okay? Some priests only serve once a year. There were so many priests. The description of their duties are very specific in First Chronicles 23, verse 28 to 32. Very specific. The description of their duties, um, uh, again, are because David is organizing and dividing everything else so it flows, the whole system. The families of the Levites are given to us in chapter 24, verse 20 to 31. The families and courses of the singers are in 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1 through 31. The 24 doorkeepers in 1 Chronicles 26, 1 through 19. The various officers in 1 Chronicles 26, 20 through 32. And the king's counselors in 1 Chronicles 27, 32 to 34. And the, listen, listen, the military and civil leaders in 1 Chronicles uh, 27, uh, 1 through 32. All this, said David, the Lord Yahweh made me understand in writing 
by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. First Chronicles twenty eight nineteen. God gave David the pattern, the organization, everything. Everything you have in the scripture, ladies and gentlemen, is inspired of God. God is directing and using and speaking through men. Please mark that well. Now, the words used in the Old Testament are numerous. There is the word Hallel, and it means to acclaim or to boast or to glory in. And there are groups of psalms called, as you know, the Hallel Psalms, to express the deep satisfaction and exaltation of the acts and the qualities of, um, of the one being praised. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. The word Yada means to praise, to give thanks, and to confess God's goodness. So there's different... Uh, if, if you know Spanish and English, you know that the Spanish language is more expressive than the English language. But the Greek language is even the most expressive of all languages. And so there's various words, and also the Hebrew, various words, and there's slight distinctions, and it's important. The word yada means to praise and to give thanks, to confess God's goodness. And there's todah, it focuses on the acknowledgement of God's works and his character, often in contrast with human failure. There is the word zamar, to sing praise and make music, focusing on the use of instruments of music written for cornet, cymbal, harps, organs, timbrels, trumpets, many of the psalms, Psalm 4, 9, 11, 12, 22, 42, 45, 53, 60, 61, 62, 81, many of them. You'll read on the subscription, uh, a superscription above it. It'll tell you. Remember that Satan, Lucifer, was the choir director of heaven prior to his fall, Ezekiel 28, 13. All the angels worship him. Then there was a rebellion. A third fell with Satan. You were created from your initial days. You were perfect in all your ways until iniquity was found in you. That means angels have a free will. They're not forced to stay in heaven. The only thing is angels cannot be redeemed. Only people who are creating the image and likeness of God are redeemable through the gospel, not angels. The word sabah means to praise or commend, directed to God with rich adoration. A slight difference. The instruments and music are amoral, by the way. Too much has been made against musical instruments of kind that sometimes say that should never be in the church. Uh, an instrument is just an instrument. That's legalism. Here's the important thing of worship. Listen carefully. The words. The words are the important thing. Okay? Very important. I can take a pen and I can write poetry or I can write dirty words. You don't grab that pen, you dirty pen. It's just the instrument. I'm the one. It can be a piano, it can be a guitar, it can be an organ, it can be drums. All of those are mentioned within here and in the Psalms. 
So the Bible does not prohibit anything. The important thing is the words, ladies and gentlemen. What is being sung? What is being said? The lyric. There are many musical instruments mentioned in Chronicles. As I said, harp, string instruments, cymbals, trumpets. So, music makes time go faster, doesn't it? You ever work a boring job? Music is handy, <laughs> right? You got to do some work around the house, put some music on, right? The words used in the New Testament are equally numerous. The word anial, that means to praise, found nine times in the New Testament. The angels appeared to the shepherds and the heavenly hosts appeared uh, praising, there's the word, God, saying glory to God in the highest in Luke 2.13. There's a different form. Aneos is another form and found two times in the New Testament. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. There's the word, Matthew 21.16. There is still another related uh, form found uh, epineos, which means to applaud, and is found six times in the New Testament. Uh, the master commanded, remember? That's the word, the unjust steward in Luke sixteen eighteen, Jesus used the parable to teach that the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generations than the sons of light. We are to be faithful in the unrighteous mammon for eternal things. He commends him because the world knows about money. It's invested, this and that. And he says, we don't live for it, but we're to be shrewd and also protect the things that God gives to us. Okay? We don't live for the money. Being rich doesn't mean you're godly. In fact, Paul says to those who say godliness is gain, get away from them. The majority of us just get by. We, we, we go right. And the older we get, once we raise family, we'll be okay. But that's the average person, okay? And in America, even the poorest person is rich compared to the rest of the world. If you've been out of the United States, it's an undeniable truth. Um, when one is applauded, it means well done, Jesus said. The word appears another 11 times in different forms translated praise. Then there's the word doxa, which means glory, dignity, and majesty appearing 160 times in the New Testament. This is a very important word. There were 10 lepers, only one returned to give God, listen, doxa, glory, Luke 17, 18. Jesus said, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21, 27, doxa. The word uminio means to him, celebrate in song and found four times in the New Testament. Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns at midnight in prison in Acts 16, 25. Remember the jailer got saved? Why, why did, did you ever think about it? He was ready to kill himself. Paul said, hey, do yourself no harm. We're all present. And then he says, kneels down. What must I do to be saved? It doesn't say there was any preaching. They were singing. What were they singing? 
Worship to God. Talking about God. His greatness. His goodness. His loving kindness. <laughs> wow. The cognate form is found in the following Ephesians five nineteen through twenty and Colossians three sixteen. In Ephesians five nineteen through twenty says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, there's a word, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, there's a word again, and spiritual songs, singing and gr- with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's the believer. That's never required the non-believer. But the minute we're born again, we start growing, developing, maturing, learning God's word, putting on the mind of Christ, judging everything through the word of God. Very important. That's what pastors are to be doing, teaching the flock of God, feeding them so that they can feed themselves and depend on the Lord and not upon a religious system, not upon the pastor or the elders. We're here to serve you. We will do it, but do not depend on us. You must depend on the Lord Jesus Christ, especially you young people. You've got, if the Lord tarries, you've got a heavy task to evangelize the world and to be a light and salt to what's coming. God has called you to a great task. You must go through boot camp. You must get prepared for what God has for your life. The believer is to worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. In John four twenty four, our Lord uh, taught this to the woman of Samaria, as you know. And the only son and daughters can worship the Father are those who are born again, not religious people, he told her. Jesus was stunned, or she was stunned, that Jesus spoke to her, being a rabbi. You being a Jew rabbi, you're, you're talking to me? First of all, she's a Samaritan. She's, the, the Jews hate the Samaritans. They're half-breed, they're half-Gentile, half-Jew. And then she's a woman. Jesus went from rabbi to savior of the world. That's where the title was given to Jesus. Not in Jerusalem, but in Samaria. The savior of the world. By the woman of Samaria. Because he opened her eyes up. And she opened her heart to him. Wow. When your children express their depth of love for you. And they just are so tender and they mean what they're saying. Does that make you uncomfortable, awkward? Absolutely not. It thrills you. It breaks you. It humbles you. But if a total stranger did that, it would be kind of awkward, right? Parents receive it from their children. Wow. Wow. Our Lord Jesus taught the woman of Samaria that worship is spiritual, not merely physical. He said, not in Gerizim or in Jerusalem, but in one's heart, the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, having no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3.3. 3. The believer cries out by the Holy Spirit from his heart, Abba, Father, literally, Daddy. Galatians 4, 6. To the very last day that my dad, my dad was alive, he died in 94, I was 44 years old. I call him Papi, Daddy. Every day of my life, 
because the endearment, the love you have for a person. Very meaningful. Hmm. Jesus taught the woman of Samaria that worship is to be according to truth. This is very important. God's revelation and no other. God honors his word above his name. We've already seen in Psalm 138 too. Nadab and Abihu, remember in Leviticus 10, after all the instruction, I'm there for one year at Mount Sinai, and they're just being instructed, the Ten Commandments, all the laws, all the judgments, all the statutes, and they offer the first sacrifice. What do they do? They, get, they drink a little wine, offer strange fire, and God has to barbecue them. God honors his word above his name, ladies and gentlemen. You just can't worship God and do what you want and think that God's going to accept you. Or myself. That's why he gives us his word. David attempted to bring the ark back, as you know, to Jerusalem the wrong way. Without the proper worship and Uzzah died. He did it the right way. The priest, the sacrifice, the worship. God honored it. First Chronicles chapter 13 and 15. What a contrast. All things are to be decent and in order as an expression of our worship, not bringing attention to ourselves. Paul told the Corinthians that anyone who proclaims another gospel is to be damned. Pretty strong words. Anathema, the strongest word, damnation in the Greek. If you go beyond the word of God... Add to the word of God or take away from the word of God. Listen to me. You are in deep trouble. You begin to deviate. That ship that takes off from the east coast to Europe has to readjust its course because of Coriolis effect, all the currents. If it doesn't adjust it, it'll never land and arrive at its port. The same with the believer. You must adjust the currents of the day, the temptations, the intellectual deception, the indoctrinations, the isms, all of that. The believer is to worship God in his or her life. Through physical posture, we worship. Solomon fell on his knees, lifted up his hands, as we'll see later on. You see it also in 1 Kings 8, 22 to 23. Um, we are to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting in 1 Timothy 2, 8. The idea of being complete dependency, pureness of heart, and worship, posture varies from scripture to scripture, as you know. It should not only be outward expression. You can kneel, you can lay down, you can lift your hands, whatever it is. Now, we're not going to let you lay down here because you're bringing attention to yourself. You want to lay down at home and worship God? Praise God. You want to do a little diddy, little boogie at home before the Lord? That's between you and the Lord, but we wouldn't let you do that here. You're calling attention to yourself. There's public worship, there's private worship, right? It's real simple. Through obedience to God's word, we, we worship. Now, we know that God hears not sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them, John 9, 31. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Remember Saul? 1 Samuel 15, 22. Obedience is one form. Listen. Of worship to God. Obedience is one form of worship. When you're obeying God, you're worshiping Him. You are the master. I am the servant. Through our private and quiet times, we worship as we're alone and He deals with our hearts and we express our love for Him, be it at home, 
be it driving down the freeway, whatever it may be. Meditate within your hearts on your bed and be still, Psalm 4.4. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. Be careful that you are not driven by emotionalism, yet you can express your emotions to God. But emotionalism, then you want to attribute all that to the work of the Spirit of God. No, no, no. Emotionalism wants to focus on, on your feelings. It has nothing to do with feelings. Learn to distinguish between the two. Through our corporate worship, we are witness to the community and to each other. Solomon worship in the temple and the glory filled it. And everybody ran out. We'll see that in Second Chronicles 5, 11 through 14. They continued in the temple daily with one accord praising God. Acts 2, 46 through 47. These guys are full-blown Jews. Now they're Christians. They're going to the temple. They're worshiping God in spirit and truth, not through the sacrifices. You think people didn't take notice? Peter and John and others gathered to pray for boldness and worshiping God in Acts 4, 23 through 31. Remember the believers to sing songs and hymns in his heart in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 and Colossians 3, 16. There's a distinction between the two. In Ephesians, it is the result of the Holy Spirit in us. In Colossians, it's the result of the Word of God in us. The Word and the Holy Spirit, gas and fire. They must go together. Wow. Listen to Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty firmaments. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with uh, clashing cymbals. Let everything has breath. Praise the Lord Yahweh. Praise the Lord Yahweh. When you visit the museum there in Israel with us, you will read Psalm 151 <laughs> that they found. Interesting. The Psalms were praises to God. This is how we are to worship God scripturally in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. Let me finish up with what we have learned about worship. First, worship is not confined or limited to what happens on Sunday morning as we worship in music. Some people think it is a fill-in time for the latecomers. It is not. Others think it takes talented musicians to worship rather than committed Christians. We want to give God the best, but we don't just want performance. Not at all. Secondly, worship is primarily a response to the revelation of God in our lives. For who he is, creator, for what he has done, redeemed us. He's our savior. For what he promises to keep me, to provide for me. Worship is not passive. It's not a mood. It's not a feeling, but a response to God's initiation. That's why we are to meditate upon the word day and night. Then we shall be have prosperous and be good success. Spiritually speaking, not talking about money. Joshua 1a. 
Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Thirdly, worship consists of praise, prayer, adoration, and thanksgiving to God in acknowledgement of his worth with lifting hands, prostrating bodies, songs, and other things. Declaring our devotion to him, declaring our dependency on him, declaring our delight in him. Angels, elders, and every creature in heaven and earth cry out, You are worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. That is what's to be coming from my life. Good times, bad times, difficult times, all the time. Fourth, worship is spiritual and must be according to the truth of God's word from the heart. God does not look on the outward appearance as man does. 1 Samuel 16, 17. Corporately, the church is living. Stones is being built up. A spiritual house, as you know, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifice except to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 5. That's the answer of the church. Everyone according to his word. For um, It's the standard for life and practice. Listen to Chronicles. All these were under the direction of their fathers, for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, string instruments, and harps in the service of the house of the Lord. First Chronicles 25, 6. Now, fifthly, the nation who believes and worships the God of the Bible has a great advantage. The advantage of hindsight, particularly in regards to history, is that you are able to observe dates and events that were crucial in the outcome and future development of a nation. And without any doubt, the date that marked our nation and her decline, one of the great ones was the prohibition of prayer in school in Engel versus Vitel in 1962. From that point on, SETs and everything went downhill. Discipline, education, everything. We're talking about 62, 72, 82, 92, 2, 12. We're talking about 47 years, ladies and gentlemen, of indoctrination and decay. Listen to the prayer that was offered that where they prohibited prayer. This was the prayer that went to court. This is the prayer they prayed. Listen. Almighty God, we acknowledge dependence upon thee. And we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Four groups of people. Us, the students, their parents, teachers, the country, the U.S. You see anything wrong with that? But the humanists had already progressively taken hold from the 1900s on. Why would the authorities of the land deny and reject prayer in the public schools? Allow me to give you some possible reasons. First, prayer is an acknowledgement that there is a God. Second, prayer is communication with God. Third, prayer is dependency on God. Fourth, let me give you what every, every state had in their constitution, all of them. Okay, listen to me. For every person, 
requirement to hold public office. This is North Carolina Article 32. Listen carefully. No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority either or the Old or New Testament or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state shall be capable of holding any office or place or trust or profit in the civil department within this state. Every state in the United States had one of these. And the person had to put their name in there, that they believe in Jesus Christ and salvation, the redemption, the losses of man. Do you see how far our nation has come? Where they say that our founding fathers were not believers? Wow. In a humanistic system who prides itself on the abilities of man and the goodness of man, it has no place nor tolerance for God in its equation of education. The outcome is clear and obvious. The school system is the fountainhead and the source of those of future society which would embrace and propagate the godless and valueless belief and philosophies of life. Not No prayer, no God. So what do you have? You have a formula for destruction and chaos, and we see it. The Trojan horse to America, ladies and gentlemen, I've told you over and over again, it's public school education through progressive education. Huey, Dewey, and all those guys. Here we are. I did a series on America and God around 1996 or so. I would encourage you to get that. I go through everything, the prayer, the, the documents, all the cases and all that. It's up in the bookstore. You have the whole series of, a, of um, Barton up there. So you know your history. You homeschooling? Get into those so your kids understand where America came from. And they don't fall prey or you don't fall prey. And so you can have answers for people. So important. Ladies and gentlemen, we want the best for you. That means God. No one else. You must know God's word. You must know your God. You can't play games. Especially in the day that we're living. Patrick Henry said, and I'm quoting it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not on religionists, great word, but by Christians. Not on religions, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. What is at stake, what they ultimately want, is the First Amendment, freedom of speech, which accompanies freedom of religion. Not as they have interpreted freedom from religion. The separation between church and state is a made-up doctrine. It's not in the documents of the Federalists. It's not in the preamble. It's not in our Constitution. It's a subjective interpretation by the humanists to do away with the belief in God. That our founding fathers, you would have to destroy every monument in, in, in Washington, D.C. You have to destroy every monument in every state, which they have begun already. It's a rewriting of our history. 
the revisionist. Because they don't want you to believe in God. And so I pray that God give you wisdom this morning. I couldn't wait to get up here for this sermon. These scriptural lessons on worship are important for your life and mine. And so as we look at this material here of Chronicles, this block, and we see that David included everyone. Everybody affects everybody. How we worship God. And he has given us the answers to the simple question, what, are, what is worship? The sound question, why are we to worship? And the specific question, how are we to worship? It all comes from the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I could tell you I made it up. I'm not that smart. It comes from the word of God. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work you have done in our lives. We thank you for just every person here and for what you have done in their lives. Lord, how you have restored lives, how you have just turned around marriages, how you have just pulled young people out of different things. And Lord, your mercy to provide for us, your mercy to make this place a light to the community. As you continue to bring people, we just worship you. We thank you. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to hear the gospel. That you might worship him. Maybe you're in the internet. Or maybe out there in the radio world somewhere. If you don't know him. God has brought you here to repent of your sins. A simple prayer of repentance. What you require. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man and died in your place. Then you can call upon him. And believe that he paid for all your sins. To justify you before his father. This is your prayer if you want to be born again. Father I come to you in Jesus name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.